church. If you don't have a Bible, at least you got a device or something that you can that you can look up and follow along with what's happening. You know, I believe that we're here tonight because we are disciples. We are people who are hungry and that we want to do something for God. We want God to use us. And I believe that in this group right here, those there's some here that that would would have liked to have been here. There's a lot that would have liked to have been here with us, but we made it here because we we see value in this. We see value in coming together on a Thursday night, some of us from a long ways away because we're a part of something that's a whole lot bigger than than ourselves. We're, we're a part of something that's bigger than just even the church that we come from, you know. We, we get so used to being a part of our, our circle of friends, and we have our church and our people that we, that we work with and we see on a regular basis. But, you know, to think that, that we're a part of a, a fellowship of churches that is reaching beyond our city or our state and our country and touching different parts of the world, it's a big deal. Look at somebody and tell them it's kind of a big deal. Amen. It is a big deal. It's a big deal because what God is involved, what God is doing is be far beyond what we can even imagine. I'll tell you, if we'll, if we'll allow God to use us and change us and deal with our hearts and disciple us a little bit, we'll, we'll change the world. One person can change the world. I pray that we get stirred up in our hearts. I pray that we would have a vision beyond just 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the afternoon or a vision that goes beyond Friday. Amen. Let's, let's begin to, let's be kingdom-minded people. We need kingdom-minded people. Is it me? Or is it, the, is, am I hearing something funny? Is, I don't know. We need to be kingdom-minded people. We need people that will, will pick up the, the vision and see the value in winning the lost and going beyond just our immediate circle and say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to do something in my life. Help me to be a part of this, this uh, evangelistic effort. Help me to do something for God. Amen. How many want to do something for God? You can do it. You can do it. God can use you. God can move in your life. And I want to minister tonight. I believe it will be a help and a blessing to us. And it's not the kind of message that, that uh, in fact, I don't even think this is the, the kind of rah-rah message that people uh, sometimes expect, you know, from an opening night of a rally or from a conference. But I believe that this is something that can help us because we need a good perspective on the things of God. We need to know that it's not just about doing and doing and doing but it's about doing what God has called us to do. It's about being in the will of God and, the, and following the plans and the purposes of God. So I want you to turn over with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, if you would. Amen. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And I want to minister on good intentions. Good intentions. You know, I mean, no good intentions aren't enough. There's a lot of people that have good intentions, but their intentions are misguided. And I, I want to just share this story with you. Back in the 1800s, it was about 1850, I think it was, there was a man by the name of Thomas Austin who had an idea in Australia that he wanted to import some rabbits. And he was an avid hunter. He'd moved from England, and he had always enjoyed hunting. And so he thought it would be fun if we had some, some rabbits. There were already some, some, a certain breed of rabbits, but he wanted a specific kind. And so he brought these rabbits in from, from Europe, and he asked his son if he would get these for him, and his, or his nephew, rather. And he couldn't find enough of the gray rabbits, so he, he got some domesticated rabbits. And he, and he brought those in. And so he brought in a total of about 24 rabbits. And, and uh, as a result of this, the, how many know the rabbit population began to take off? He released these 24, just 24 rabbits, released them into the wild and commenced to uh, hunting these rabbits. But before he could get them all, how many know what happens? When rabbits get together, they start multiplying. They start, you know, multiplying like rabbits. And these rabbits pretty soon became uh, a, a particular hybrid that was, uh, it, it thrived in that climate. It thrived on the vegetation of Australia. 
to the point where they they multiplied so fast that they were in the in the millions and and one of the things that they that in this article that I had read was they had reproduced so much that they had they they would kill a million rabbits a year and not even make a dent in the population after 10 years, there were so many rabbits, they couldn't get rid of them. So they thought, well, to mitigate this, we'll build a fence. And so they put up 2,000 miles of fences. But before they could get the fences up, some rabbits got through. And, and it totally messed up their plan. And so they, they had a rabbit problem. You can go and research it. it it's, it's still a problem. But they finally have, have been able to to reduce the number of rabbits, but all because one guy had an idea he'd like to hunt some rabbits. Just 24 rabbits created this massive problem for Australia, and I want you to know that how many good intentions are not enough? This man had good intentions, but how many know good intentions have a way of backfiring on us? And listen, there is no trial in life. There's no challenge that is, that is uh, more difficult to deal with than the kind of uh, thing that, uh, situation that we're dealing with where our expectations are shattered. Where we had good intentions and we meant well. We wanted to do the right thing. But even as a result of doing the right thing, it still was not enough. How many know what I'm talking about? You were sincere. You were honest. You had a right heart, even, the, even a right heart, even before God. You said, God, my heart was pure. My intentions were pure. I was sincere and honest in all of that. And, and you know, this could be considered a test of broken dreams. We do something, we give ourselves to something only to find that it fails, it doesn't come to pass, and it doesn't work out the way we expected. But listen, life is filled with bitter disappointments and harsh disappointments, and sometimes we have to learn that these are not just, it's, it's not just a setback. Sometimes God is saying no. How many know that? Sometimes God will tell you no. We all like to hear the yeses. We like to hear when God says yes about something. God, what do you think about this? Yes, we like that. And a lot of times it's our own voice. That it sounds just like ourselves, right? I heard God, he said yes. It sounded just like me, but I'm pretty sure the Lord said yes. But the real battle in the, is, is the battle that takes place within us. When God, when we want to do something and we're sincere about it and we really feel like this is the right thing and then God gives us the answer that we're not really looking for, and that answer is no sometimes. Being able to hear and to understand and be okay with it. That's the real test. How do we respond when we want to do something and God gives us, he, he holds his hand out and says, hang on a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing right now, or this, this is not the right time for that. You need to hold, hold your horses a little bit and, and back up a little bit. We don't like to be held off. We don't like to be told no. We don't like for God to, to kind of put us in our place and say not yet or not right now about something. And so I want to read this and look at this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. This is the story of David and his plan to build a temple for the Lord and for the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of the Lord was. Amen. Now, verse number 1, 1 Chronicles 17 and verse 1. Now, it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel even to this day. But have gone from tent to tent, and from one tabernacle to another, wherever I have moved about with all of Israel, have I... Did I miss something there? No, wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my house, over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men that are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since that time, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all of your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and, will, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, he will be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to these words and according to all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. And you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord. For your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all of this greatness in making known all of these great things. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as different churches. Lord, people with the same heart and, and desire, Lord, and the, the, the passion for winning the lost. God, I pray that you would speak to us this night and tomorrow. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and that, God, we would be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God, that we would not be ignorant of what your plans are. But God, I pray that you would touch every young person, every older person, Lord, every marriage, every single person, Lord, every heart. God, I pray we would hear from heaven. And God, I pray let your word change us and transform us, Lord. And we give you the glory tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the things that people use in life to make their case is their sincerity. To give credibility to the decisions that they've made or the things that they've done. You know, many people use it as the ultimate justification for something that doesn't go their way. You know, they're hard. They, they will say, but I was sincere. I was, I was honest. I did that with a sincere heart. I've heard that so many times. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be sincere. I'm trying to I just have good intentions. But how many know good intentions are, are uh, not enough in the sense that, you know, th there's a saying that was, you've heard probably before that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People that have, they have lofty ideas. You know, many of us, when we, when we went out to, to uh, pastor, and I, I did the same thing when we went to Greeley, when we left Colorado Springs, we thought for sure that, you know, we're going we're gonna to blow Greeley up for the gospel. We thought, we, in our hearts, honestly, we thought, man, we're going to be running, we'll probably be running 500 by the end of the year. We're probably going to be doing X, Y, and Z. We see somebody, we go up there for, for lunch or something and see somebody serving us. Oh, we're, that's probably going to be, that, that person's probably going to be our, our head usher. And that person over there, they're going to be leading the Sunday school. We had these ideas, but how many know when there, there's, a, there's what we think and then there's what really happens? And we got up there and it didn't quite work out that way. And it even happened the same way when we left Colorado Springs and we went over to Kenya and we had that giant tent inside of that container. And we thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to land in Nairobi and we're going to, you know, this thing's going to take off. We'll probably be running thousands in Nairobi. We would drive downtown in Nairobi and we would see these giant pieces of property off the side of the road. And we'd say, that's a great place for, for the tent. Oh, that's going to be awesome, you know. And we had pure motives. Our hearts were right. We wanted to do something for God. But for some reason, it never transpired the way it looked in my mind. 
It never quite exactly took form the way I thought. And my intentions were right. I thought, man, we're going to, we're going to, that's our property. I'm claiming it. I met with big fish, big officials. I met with the, you know, connected people, people that were carrying guns in Kenya when people weren't allowed to carry guns. I thought, man, I've got some, I've got some inroads here. And God repeatedly in our lives, and Emily and I, I'm speaking just from our experience, has repeatedly brought us to a place where our hearts were right. We wanted to do something. We felt it was the right thing. But God said no. And we would say, why not? And God didn't, some, most of the time, doesn't answer us. Because God doesn't owe you an explanation, and he doesn't owe me an explanation. And we just simply, we've, we were talking about it earlier today. There have been several times where God has just said, no, no. Why? I don't understand all of the answers. I don't understand why. But we think as long as we're honest, as long as we're well-meaning, as long as we have uh, uh, you know, good intentions. We can justify it. But I want you to know God has boundaries. He has guidelines. He has limitations on our lives. And he will often put up a, a, a roadblock in just in the same way that he did with David right here because he's got something better or something, something longer lasting than what we have. There's a reason for that. He gives, he gives a word to David. David says, why am I, I'm, I, here I am, I'm living in this beautiful place. I've got all of these luxuries and the, and the Ark of the Covenant, the house of the Lord, is in a tent. I don't, want the, I don't want the Lord to be in a tent. Let me build a temple. Let me build something that's going to bring glory and bl- bring honor to God. He had right intentions, didn't he? He had good intentions. He was sincere in his decisions. And still, God says, I, that's not what I'm doing. It's not for you to do. But you know what we are in, in, in life? We're good apologizers. We're good at, at making our own decisions. We're good at, at, at moving ahead of God and doing what we want. And it really doesn't matter whether or not God agrees with it or gives us his blessing. We'll just say sorry later. I may know what I'm talking about. All of us that are disciples know what that's like. But I don't want to be a good apologizer. I don't want to be somebody that's good at saying sorry, just moving ahead as, and, and as, as long as I get what I want, get to do what I want, and then I can always come back and I can say sorry. And you know God's a God of grace and God's a God of mercy and, and, and a pastor's going to be merciful for, with me and everything's just going to be smoothed over and I got what I wanted. I did what I wanted. And it didn't really matter what God said. I got to do what I wanted to do. I'm going to let that just kind of bounce from that wall to that wall and bounce back and forth and hit where it needs to. Amen. You know what I would rather be? I would rather be obedient from the beginning. God says to David through Nathan in this, in this particular text, he says, I've got things for you. I'm going to do something for you that the person that was before you didn't get. Who came before David? What was his name? Saul. You know what Saul did? Saul was given specific instructions by Samuel to do something very, very specific, to wipe out uh, uh, all of the Amalekites, to spare nothing, to to kill all the animals, kill everything. And, And what did Saul do? Saul saved some of the best. He wasn't supposed to do anything until Samuel got back. He got tired of waiting for Samuel. You can go back and read it in 1 Samuel uh, 16, 17, 15, somewhere in there. And he got tired of waiting. He says, you know what, I don't want to be you know, burdened by this. I'm going to do what I think is the right thing. And he had good intentions, but they were selfish intentions. He wasn't thinking beyond his immediate situation. And Samuel comes back and he says, he says uh, did you do what I, said, what, what I said to do? Oh, yeah, I did everything, Saul says. I was, I, was, I, I was obedient. And Samuel says, well, what is that noise that I'm hearing? What's, what are those animals? What's that crackling in the microphone? <laughs> what are those animals that I'm hearing? 
I'm hearing sheep. I'm hearing goats. And and Saul begins to justify. Well, I thought I and you know I was I was just wanting, I was just trying to do what what I thought was right and my intentions were pure. I was sincere and I was just trying to to do it. But you know what? I'm sorry. And God's and and Samuel says obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You know you can be sincere. You can even be sincere in going to church and being involved in church, and you can be sincere in serving in church. You can have right intentions. You can be, you can be sincere and be misguided in your sincerity. You could just be religious work and religious motions. Mormons are sincere. Did you know that those, that are, those Mormons will take their own money and finance their own trip, their own missionary trip for two years, into another place so that they can fulfill their Mormon duties, and they do it in all sincerity, but they are sincerely wrong. They're, they're Jehovah's Witness all around here. I drove past their, their place when I was coming in. They're everywhere. You know what they're doing? They're knocking on doors, they're evangelizing, and they're doing it with a whole lot of sincerity, and they're sincerely wrong. Muslims will get down and pray, and I've been in Kenya, and even now you're, you're, you're seeing it more and more here in the U.S., especially in, in places like Michigan and different places, and you'll, you'll start seeing it more. You think, well, we're in Texas. We're not going to see any of that. You watch. If we don't take a stand, I'm not going to get on a political side of things, all right? But, but Muslims are aggressive, and they're praying. You, you think you pray. You get down for five minutes in the morning. Talk, think about five times a day. Not worried about what everybody else is thinking. And you hear that, that call to prayer go out over a speaker. They're, they are sincere in their faith. But they're sincerely wrong. And you can be sincere about all of these things. You can be sincere about, about your future. You can be sincere about your own plans. You can be sincere about protecting what's yours and, and having your little world. And, and, and we can get like that sometimes where, you know, we've got a career. And now we've got a house. And now we've got, we've got a car. And we've got all these things that we've been waiting for so long to get. And we're so sincere about building our little nest egg. And we miss out on the will of God and the plans of God. It's not that any of those things are wrong. Not that, not that having a family or having a house or, or uh, a career is wrong. But what about the things of God? What about what God has for your life? What about being in a place where you say, God, I, I, know, that, I know that I need to, to uh, uh, you know, save and do all of these things. But God, I want to be used by you. What, if, what happens if God puts it on your heart and says, I want you to sell everything that you have, like Pastor Dylan and Ashley did, or of course they got a container and took some of it with them, but, but to, to leave the comforts and to leave a good paying job. Pastor Dylan left a good paying job, and so did Ashley. And to go over, and now they're over in Tanzania, and he doesn't, he doesn't get that salary that he was getting before. It's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different world. And we can be so sincere. I think I want us to catch here is that we can be so sincere and we can be misguided in our sincerity and, and completely miss the, what God, what is your will for my life? What, what better thing do you have than the thing that I'm giving myself wholeheartedly to right now that may be the wrong thing? We need to be bold in our faith, bold in our witnessing to the lost, and, but we need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and all of that. There, somebody said this, sincerity at its best is inadequate, and at its worst is deadly error. At its best, it's an inadequate, and at its worst, it's deadly error. error. You know, the Bible talks about David. They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of, of Jerusalem. And, and it, there's a scripture in Psalms, and it says, Who shall ascend into the house of the Lord? You remember that scripture? Who's, who, into that high place. He's talking about bringing the Ark of the Covenant up that mountain where it would, where it would eventually sit. 
And the reason he put David put that in there is because there was a time when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, and they had decided we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant. Not, we're not going to carry it on the shoulders of the Levites like they like we were instructed. Let's build a cart for the Ark of the Covenant. Let's carry this thing in style. There's another mistake David made. Let's carry the Ark of the Covenant. You remember it was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. That's how they moved it from place to place. But they said, let's build us a cart. We'll put the Ark of the Covenant there. And while they were pulling the Ark of the Covenant, maybe one of the oxen, uh, you know, stepped in a hole or tripped or did something funny. And, and the Ark of the Covenant began to slide off of that cart. One guy whose name was Uzzah, he was just trying to be helpful. He was sincere in his intentions. He reached out only to steady the Ark. He just wanted to keep it from falling off. That's all he was doing. And the moment he touched it, God saw it and struck him dead and killed him. So they left the Ark of the Covenant there, and there was something that happened. David was, David was looking back on that, and he sees that. And, and here, this man had sincerity. He was, he, he was right-hearted. He was honest. And, and even in spite of all of that, God said, you do not touch the anointing of God. You do not touch the place where God rests and, and dwells. And there are, there are countless uh, illustrations, many illustrations in the Word of God where God said, that's not what I'm doing. You might want to do something. You might have good intentions, but that's not what I'm, I'm involved in right now. There was a time in Acts chapter 16 where Paul wanted to go to Asia, and he had it in his mind to evangelize a specific area and a specific place. God says, I'm not doing that. The Holy Spirit, it says, forbade him to go and says, that's not what we're about right now. Even when we're, we're making plans and even when we've got the gospel in mind, we have to be careful. God, is this what you're doing right now? Is this what you want for my life right now? We can be spinning our wheels moving in, in a fruitless direction where we're just not, we're not seeing anything happen. Why is it? It's because God's not in it. God's not working in that thing. There's something that's missing. We, we're, we're working ourselves, listen pastors, working ourselves to the bone. Doing everything that we can, we can muster up right here between these, these two ears. And we've got ideas and we're thinking about things. And instead of saying, God, what are you doing? And I can promise you, if we'll get on our knees and begin to talk with God, God will begin to put something in our heart. And sometimes he has already put it there, but we've ignored it because we don't want to do that. It's too hard. It takes too much time. There's too much effort involved right there. It's painful. Let me tell you, it's painful to, to raise up disciples. It's not easy raising up workers. When we see workers up here and we see drummers and, and musicians and singers and people that are handing offering baskets and serving in nursery, how do we get those people? We didn't put a, a, an ad on Craigslist. Those are our people. And, and people, let me tell you how, how people are. People, I'm a people. People are late, right? People don't like to show up when they're supposed to. They don't want to. They don't want to dress up like they're supposed to. They don't want to be faithful like they're supposed to. And so, what happens? We bring that old, the old way that we used to do when we were out in the world. Unless you were just born with this, you know, obedient gene in your body, and everything you did was just right. God has to do something to us. He has to shape us, and he has to knock off all the things that don't look like a disciple, just like he did with Peter. It's discipleship, and disciples aren't made on a conveyor belt in a factory somewhere. They're made one by one. And we've all got a lot of things that we're working out, and we're trying to, we're trying to sort out in our lives. And so when it comes to, to being useful in the kingdom of God, there's something called discipleship, and it's hard work. And it's not just the pastor's job. I'm going to take, a, take a, just a minute right here and do a little detour, all right? Because discipling workers and discipling other people, it's not just the pastor's job. You can help in the process of helping somebody become useful in the kingdom of God by being a good example and a good influence in their life. 
And instead of waiting for the pastor to be the bad guy in every situation and have to fix and correct every problem, and I'm not saying you got to go around like a sheepdog and, you know, bark everybody back into place, but to, but to use wisdom and, and help in, in making disciples and helping people to be part of what God is doing, useful in the kingdom of God. It's hard work, I tell you. It's a challenge. We have Paul, the apostle. All of these men had good intentions. But listen, our sacrifice will never take the place of obedience before God. Our good intentions will never take the place of obedience before God. Here's David, man. He's finally made it to the throne. He's finally risen to the top. I mean, he was, he was taking care of sheep. He was serving under Saul. He rose slowly up to the place where he was at. And there were times when David had an opportunity to usurp the authority of Saul. He could have killed him. He could have, he could have moved in early. But now he's finally in a place where he's reaping the fruit of all of these years of God's, of, of his, of his uh, investment, his time there. And he's in a place where God can really bless him. He, he, he wants to do something good for God. I mean, he, he's, he's the greatest king that Israel has ever seen. And finally he's in Jerusalem. And all he wants to do is build God a house. All he wants to do is the right thing here. And, and he's thinking about what, what he could possibly do. And, and the truth is, it wasn't the will of God for David to do that. He gets a word from, from Nathan, and, and Nathan gives him some instruction. And our efforts can be pure. Our desires can be pure. We can work hard for the Lord and work like the seven dwarves. Work, 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 work. Work the whole day long. And all of our efforts can be in vain because it's not what God is doing. We ought to pray, God, what's your will? What's your will? And everybody that's got a word, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's a word from God. We had a guy, pastor brought this guy to, to Kenya one time when we were living there and and he he was uh, he liked to give out words, and so as soon as he came to the church, he grabbed one of the brothers. He says, "I got a word for you, brother. God's going to give you a wife." The only problem was that man already had a wife. <laughs> it was actually Pastor Safari <laughs> that he told it to. And I told this guy later. I said, "You don't tell an African man that God's going to give him a wife when he's already got one." Because over there, some folks, they, got, they don't have more than one. They have more than four or five of them, you know. He might get another one. And, you know, there are people that have given themselves to a dream, but that dream did not come from God. I shared this with our church not long ago, and it's worth remembering and maybe even writing down. Prayerless decisions will create more battles in your life that you would not have otherwise had to deal with. Prayerless decisions will create more battles in our lives that we would not otherwise have had to deal with or had to fight. You know, I've talked to people over the years there in ministry, and their sincerity is, is top-notch. They're committed but they're spinning their wheels and they're, they're fighting in an area and their desires are, are totally wrong. And, you know, they operate on this theory that they're, this idea that sincerity gives their ideas validity. He just thought it would be a good idea. You know, I, we ought to be careful that we don't confuse our desires with God's desires. Our desires with God's desires. Listen to Proverbs 3. You know the scripture in verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. He said, David, basically, David, you're a good man. But know that you're not going to do that. And, and every believer needs to be on guard against these, these superficial 
inspirations that are, uh, they spring up in the mind, they come up in our thoughts, and they bypass the spirit. We can get ideas that, that spring up in our mind and in our thoughts, but they bypass the spirit. They don't, go, they don't go through the filter of, is this really the will of God for my life? Or is this really the will of God for our church? You know, there, there is a way, the Bible says, that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. That key word right there is, it seems right. It seems right. I thought it was the right thing. I thought I was doing something good. How many people have done something, and, and you ask them, why'd you do it? They said, well, I thought it, was some, I thought it was the right thing. But it wasn't the right thing, and it wasn't, it wasn't passed through the filter of what does the Word of God say or what does the, the Spirit of God say, and sincerity will never sustain us in a crisis. Sincerity will, will never fulfill God's purpose in our lives, and sincerity or... or uh, just th- this idea of good intentions is not enough. So here's, here's the measure, the true measure of a person's character, and that is how do we accept God's no? How do we receive it? What do we do when we get told no? Because most of us are, are like little kids in big bodies. And when you tell a little kid no, they don't want to hear no. If, especially Ellie. My granddaughter, our granddaughter, when we tell her no, I told her no this morning. You know what she did? She started pouting, and she came and put her arms around my leg. All I did was say no. She thinks she's going to, well, she's pretty good at manipulating, but it's a true measure of our character is our ability to accept and not resist a denial from God. When God tells us no, when you look at somebody and say, well, what does a person look like? If somebody's going to be used by God, if they're going to be considered a good disciple, what does a good disciple look like? I mean, do they come in with a, with a tie on and, and uh, you know, they always have a smile on their face? I've seen people that did those things, but the moment you told them no, you got somebody different. Oh, they're, they're good at, at, at putting on a dog and pony show when everything else is, when everything's going their way. And you're saying yes to everything that they ask. But the moment you say no and and don't let them have their way, they rise up. That that old nature, that old carnal nature begins to jump up on the inside. This is the measure and the mark of a good disciple. And I'm a disciple. And I get told no. And I I have a pastor too, right? And who do you think? I answer to God and I answer to Pastor Jones. And there have been plenty of times when Pastor Jones has said to me, no, what's my answer going to be? Am I going to bristle and am I going to be like a a toddler in a a grown-up body and have an attitude? Or am I going to be the kind of person that can, can receive that and not let that thing derail me in my heart? It's a mark of a person's character, what they do and how they respond when there is an, a, a no. And, and because we, our human nature doesn't want to be told no. We are by nature children of disobedience. And even when our intentions are good, it's been, it's been our, our weakness since the, since the Garden of Eden. When, when God told Adam no, what did Adam and Eve do? The first thing they did is go and eat of that tree. When God told them not to. God said no, they said yes, and the devil said amen, and that was the end of it, right? And we resist, it is natural for us to resist any form of refusal, and it is a true measure of our character, and we react, and ultimately we kill what God is trying to do in us because we react to that no in the wrong way. Because when God says something, God says something to David, He says, David, this is not for you to do. He says, but I've got something even better for you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do something. You're going to try and build. You want to build me a house? That might last a lifetime. It may have lasted 200 years. It might last a lifetime. He says, but what I'm going to do, he says, David, I'm going to build a house for you. 
You want to build me a house? No, it's not for you. Your, your son is going to do that. He says, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to build a house for you. And when I build that house for you, it's going to last forever. It's going to last for eternity. And David, by his accepting what God was saying in that moment, immediately he put himself into the lineage of Jesus Christ where God could use him. It's, listen, it is so, what God is doing is bigger than even us. But he's going to use us. He doesn't do it in spite of us. We're a part of his plan. And when we can say, God, I hear that no, and I say yes to you instead of yes to my flesh. Because when my flesh begins to speak, guess what? It, it, my flesh will move me out of the will of God. My flesh moves me in a direction that is contrary to the plans and purposes of God. I'm not saying we're the only ones that are doing anything from, for God. I'm not saying that the only place you're going you're gonna to see God move is in your church or where you're at. But I can tell you, I, I personally feel that God places people in a specific place for a specific time and a specific reason, and he uses us where he plants us. He uses us there. He helps us. And I want, I want, my, I want my, my efforts to, be, to go longer and my investment to be much longer than just my lifetime. I want, I want what God does to, I want God really to build a house through me. And this is what he says to David. He says, David, I'm going to build you a house. And it is a measure of a person's character, how they respond to God's no. Our character is not proven when, it, when, when people are coming up and they're saying, uh, good job, man, you did such a good job. If somebody comes up, maybe they'll say it at the end of the service. Hopefully my wife, that was such good preaching. Thank you. I'll say to her, no, I don't say that. But, you know, everybody can, everybody can, can do, do the right thing and say the right thing when somebody's patting them on the back and tell them you did so good and we're so proud of you and, and, and we're getting the accolades. But what about when the pastor calls us in and gives us some correction, has to deal with us about something? has to speak something that's really uh, uh, helping us in our character. You know, God will, will use those moments. And here, David, man, he's, he's just acting out of the gratitude of his own heart. Think about Moses. Moses did the same thing. Moses thought, well, I'm going to help God out. He sees this guy abusing an, a, 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 one of the children of Israel, this Egyptian. He, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this guy. And he goes and he kills him and buries him in the sand. You know what he thought? I'm, help, I'm helping God. I'm, I'm going to get this ball rolling early. Let me just help God out. But his intentions were wrong. God says, that's not how we're doing this. And he moves Moses out into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 years until he's ready to do something in, in, with his life and, and to put him in a place where he can actually use him. Then he brings the children of Israel out with all of that gold and everything, all the money. They get all, they get everything and they leave, they leave Egypt and they're, they're headed for the promised land. And in spite of all of that, he never does actually step in to the promised land. Moses has to watch. And I believe Moses, his heart was right. His intentions were pure. He was dealing with all of these people that were complaining, had all these attitudes, and he gets all the way there, and two spies come back with a good report, and ten have a negative report. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones, and they were the ones that were going to take in all of these that were under 20, and they're going to go in, and they're going to conquer Canaan. They're going to go in and take the promised land. Where did Moses see it from? Moses saw it from the top of a mountain. Moses died in the wilderness. He could not. God said, no, Moses, you're not going to do it. But listen, there was another place Moses saw it from. Moses was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses was there with Jesus. Moses saw the promised land from another vantage point. And there's a, there is something to our obedience that we can't always understand it in the moment. We don't always see how things are going to play out in the long run. But there's more at stake than our, our pitiful little feelings. We, we're, so, we're so protective of our precious feelings that somebody's going to hurt us. And, and especially now with, with the way people are, when, where people are so sensitive to any kind of correction or direction or constructive criticism. It could be that your pastor 
really does love you and wants the best for you. And, and, and listen, we do want to plant churches. And we do want to see people make it for God. And we do want to see people used. And we do want to release people into ministry and help them fulfill the call of God on their lives. Well, oh, pastor just doesn't care about me. And he, he's, he's, not, he's not for me. And I, I don't know why he's doing all of this. And we think that pastor's against, no, pastor's for you. And if we don't squash those feelings and those attitudes and deal with them, we'll miss out on something that's far greater. So that's the first thing is that he was, David was able to receive a denial. The second thing, he could receive it from somebody else. God did not have to come down himself. He speaks to Nathan. In fact, you know what? I was thinking about this. Here, Nathan tells him, yeah, I think that's a good idea. If you read the first part of that, Nathan said, I think that's a good idea. But then the Lord says to him in a dream, no, that's not what I'm doing. And Nathan has to go back and say, hold on a minute. That's not what's happening. I have to change my mind. Have, have, Have you ever said yes and then had to come back and say to somebody, no, I have. Said, has God changed his mind? Well, maybe the person who was speaking was speaking too soon. Because that's what happened with Nathan. And David was able to receive it from somebody else. He wasn't just able to receive it from God. Everybody can say, you know what, if God comes down and tells me, then then I'll do it. If God comes down and tells me no, then I'll know it's a no. But can we receive a no from somebody that's, that's close to us? Can we receive a Man, can you hear a no from your wife? Sometimes we, we, I'll, say, I'll say, you know, I don't think that's what God is doing. You know what the attitude is sometimes? Well, God, God speaks to me too. Well, it could be that the Lord is speaking through to you through somebody else. David gets a word from somebody he sees all the time. He gets a word from God through somebody that he sees on a regular basis, and, and it's easy to receive from people that are... That he, sometimes it's easy to receive from a pastor, but you can't receive from somebody else that's close to you. I can tell you, God, if God can use a donkey in the word of god to speak to a man he can use he can use anybody right the third thing is is that the greatest barrier to the will of god in your life is your own self will the biggest barrier to the will of god is our own self will because in our own flesh we always want an answer we want to know why why not? When can I? Self. Listen to this quote by Joseph Parker. God has his reasons for forbidding men to do certain things. Nor does God always state those reasons and flatter human reason and pride. By and by, the reasons may be disclosed. And God's providence may be vindicated, but it is for him to consider the time it will be disclosed. There is a boundary to ambition, even of the holiest kind. Think about those words. There is a boundary to ambition, even of the holiest kinds. I'm not going to get into all of this tonight, but there was a time when David was making a decision. You can read it. If you're taking notes, write this scripture down. First Samuel 17, verses 1 and 2. There was a time when David was making a decision, and that decision prompted him to take 600 of his men and their families with him into a place where he had no business taking them. He didn't ask God. He just did what he thought was right, and in the process, he didn't just put his own life on the line. He put the lives of 600 families with him. And there are, there are some things that, that, that decisions that we'll make on, a, on various occasions where it's not just us that reap the consequences of those decisions. It's those that are all around us, our circle of friends, our, our uh, sphere of influence. 
because of self, because of our own attitudes and our own, our own thoughts and desires. And it even says in that text I just gave, because of a thought. David got an idea in his head. Let me tell you, this is how church splits happen. Because somebody gets a thought, somebody gets an answer that they didn't like and didn't want to, didn't, didn't, uh, uh, they just acted out on their own flesh. And in the process, disrupt a whole lot of lives in the process. There are two things that, that are needed to make it in ministry. You have to be able to abide by the boundaries that God gives. And you need to be able to, dis- that's, that's the first one, live, live within the boundaries that God gives. So well, why, why can't we do this? You know, in our family, we have boundaries. There are things that we, we don't do in our family. There are things in a, in a church family that they're boundaries, right? So well, over in, in their family, they get to do that. Well, you don't live in that family. You live in this family. This is your family. So we're not a beer-drinking family. So over someone in their family, they, they drink beer all the time. Well, you're not there. So can you live within the boundaries of, of what God has given here? That's the first thing is being able to abide by those boundaries. And the second thing is being able to survive the dry times of your own discontent. The dry times of your own discontent. That means when everything just is not going your way and, and you're not flying high on cloud nine every single service. Or you're going through something in your family and you're just, you're just right now fighting some things through. You're just trying to work through some things in your own heart and your own emotions. And, and, it, and there's, there's a dry time. You, and if you're going to survive, if I'm going to survive in ministry, I've got to be able to make it through those dry times. Has anybody else ever felt like quitting? There's a couple of us. I don't know if uh, Brother Grayland's in my, my men's group. I don't know if you were there uh, that particular morning, but I mentioned it with, with the other guys that were there. We were talking about it. And, uh, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I felt like quitting, I'd be rolling. I'd be rolling in nickels. Every pastor here, probably every person here has felt like that before. But being able to survive the dry times of our own discontent. And I'll tell you, this is the confidence that we have. It's the impressive thing about David was not his courage. The impressive thing about him was not his compassion. The, the impressive thing about David was that David always let God choose his future. David let God tell him where he was going to go. Look, read the rest of that text that I gave. Hopefully you wrote it down because at the end, you know what David says? He says, God, I know you, you know best. And you've never led me astray. And even though this is something that I want to do, I know that you've got a better plan. You've got better purposes. And he writes about it in Psalm chapter 16. And I'll, we, I think we can put it up on the, on the screen here. But it says in Psalm 16, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. David, what David is saying, he says, God, I like, I like the way you've, you've ordered my life. I like how you've let things fall in my way. I, the, things have fallen in, in favor of me. And he had opportunities. He had so many opportunities. He could have got ahead of God. But he said, you know what, God, I like how you've done things for me. I like the way you've led me. You've ordered my footsteps. God, I trust you in this. And because of that, God was able to use him and was able to work in his life. And I, if you can accept that, and if I can accept that, we'll accomplish more than we could ever imagine. If we can accept that, that sometimes God says no. Does he say no every time? No. He opens a lot of doors. He helps us and sometimes will push us and move us into areas when we're the ones saying no. And he's leading us and he's directing us. But if you can accept the, the, this in your life and, and in spite of sincerity, you can accept these things. I want you to know that you'll accomplish more than you imagine. And because behind every no, God has a greater yes. In ministry, 
in serving the Lord, behind every no, there's a greater yes. Because he's God. He's, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We think we know what the right thing is. We think we know the best way. And God, it says he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Let's bow our heads all over this place. Every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to the Lord. That scripture at the end in there. In First Chronicles, God tells David, I will subdue all of your enemies. He says, when your days are fulfilled that you'll go to be with your fathers, I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He says, basically, I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to do something in you as a result of your obedience. He could have done it on his own. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it would have been a temporary thing, and God would not have been in it. But instead, he yielded to God's word. Behind every no, there's a greater yes. Listen to this this poem. It says, With eager heart and will on fire, I strove to win my great desire. Peace shall be mine, I said, but life grew bitter in the barren strife. My soul was weary and my pride was wounded deep. To heaven I cried, God grant me peace or I must die. The dumb stars glittered, no reply. Broken at last, I bowed my head, forgetting all myself, and said, Whatever comes, His will be done. And in that moment, peace was won. I want to ask you this evening, do you have confidence in God? Do you have confidence in His plans? Do you have confidence that He's working in that situation? He's working in the thing that you've been praying about. Do you you have confidence that he is at work on your behalf? He has your best interests at heart. I want to ask you tonight, could you accept a no from God for something greater down the road? God may be Dealing with somebody here. I know that this message is for somebody here tonight. God may be dealing with you about a decision that you've been planning to make. God's prompted you. He's spoken to you. He's got something better in store for you. Do you have confidence that God is at work on your behalf? I'll tell you that is the safest place to be, to be in the center of God's will. To be in the palm of his hand and not resisting and struggling. But saying, God, I like how you've led me so far. And God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're, you see the future. You see what I cannot see. You see the obstacles and the opportunities Tonight, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask how many in this place, across this sanctuary, first, you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior. He is not King of kings and Lord of lords in your life. And there's been resistance and you've held up, there's been, you've built a wall. Maybe in your heart you've become hardened and you say, I don't like, I don't like how I feel. I don't like this condition that I'm in. I've resisted and I've resisted. I don't like being away from God like I am. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I want Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart. How many all across this place you say, I need salvation, I need prayer. Would you lift up your hand and put it back down? You say, that's me. By, by lifting up your hand, you say, I need prayer. I need, I need someone 
to just pray for me. How many all over this place would raise up your hand and put it back down? Yes. God bless you, sister. Yes. God bless you. See this one. How many others? How many more? You join these. Be honest with God. You say yes to him, yes to salvation. This is the most important decision a person can make. You can go an entire lifetime resisting and miss out on what God has for your life. Listen, it's more than it's more than just having our name written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll walk with you on this earth. He'll help you. He'll stand with you in the dark times. You say, Pastor, I want salvation. I need forgiveness in my heart. I'm away from God. Pray for me. How many others would join these? You'd raise up your hand. You've not lifted your hand yet. You need salvation. Praise God. Let's all stand together in this place. We're going to open up these altars tonight. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to, to, to people in this place. God's dealing with hearts, maybe even in something, some area unrelated to what I've ministered here tonight. Maybe it was just a simple portion of this message. And God is... He's, he's laid his finger on an area of your life. And you say, you know what, Pastor? I feel that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to resist the Holy Spirit tonight. I don't want to walk out carrying these same thoughts and attitudes, this burden. I'm leaving it here. We're going to find a place together at these altars and just talk to God. And I want to invite these that have lifted their hands for salvation. Would you step out from your seat and wherever you're at, find the nearest aisle and just come. And let's just spend some time in these altars here before we dismiss tonight. Would you come? These altars are open. Let's take time this evening. Oh, thank you, Jesus.